Out of a, a lack of words that we can find to describe you, <laughs> amazing. 
Father, we thank you that you've chosen us. We thank you that you loved us, regardless of where we were, regardless of where we are. You love us unconditional. Your love is indescribable. Father, we thank you that while we were yet in our sins, that you sent your son to die for us. You paid the price. We thank you for being our provider, our supplier, our healer, the lifter of our heads. Our warrior, our teacher, our comfort, our protection. Father, we bow before you. We bow before you in reverence. We bow before you in worship.
When they had finished circumcising all the nation, they remained in their places in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of that place is called Gilgal to this day. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day of the month on the desert plains of Jericho. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land, so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the Hallelujah. land of Canaan during yes, that year. Yes, now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, are you for us or for our adversaries? He said, no, rather I indeed come now as the captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and he bowed down and he said to him, what is my Lord to say to his servants? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, remove your sandals from your feet for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. faithful God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So remember to have no other gods before me. Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 
is nothing too difficult for the Lord. At the appointed time, I will return to you. This is about Sarah. Verse 19 in Genesis 18 says, For I have chosen him, talking about Abraham. He's talking about us too. So that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And to us, being chosen is also... um, We'll leave it there, <laughs> but thinking about Saul and Paul and how Saul changed into something else because of God. He was also chosen. So my question this morning was, what are we chosen to do? What are you chosen to do? It's not just about us or them. It's about you individually to be listening to God and what he says. Here's the example of that change, Acts 9. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he did to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. What you say Lord, give us your rod to see what you
I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And I'm standing here this morning, and I, I think God would have us to, to have some reminders that the time is short, that the battle before us is great, and to stay the course. Don't go to the left. Don't go to the right. Stay on the narrow path. Uh, few are those who find it. Everyone in here wants to be on that narrow path because we want, we seek you, Lord God. We seek you with a whole heart. Everything that you do for us, Lord God, you take care of each day at a time, each minute at a time. You love us with an everlasting love. You care for us. You meet all of our needs. There is so much to be thankful for, Lord God. Let us put every weight behind us right now as we're here in this place because I believe it's a, this, is a, this is a holy place. Your kids are here, Lord God, and we're worshiping you and we love you and we thank you for who you are and we thank you, Father, for who we are in you. We have such incredible power and strength and abilities on this earth right now. Let us reach out and grab what we have. We have it all. Father God, you have you've given us all. We are kings and priests. Mm -hmm. Father God, we can, we can declare something. And by the power of the living God in us, the Holy Spirit in us that is able to raise from the dead and call into being things that are not, my goodness, the power we have is just incredible. Let's not be afraid to wield our swords and use that power that we have, Heavenly Father, to use it to trust in you with all our heart, not lean on our own understanding. In all our ways to acknowledge you so that you can direct our paths. Father God, I, I hear the, the, the words to the chorus that we are standing on holy ground, and I know that there's angels all around. Let us praise Jesus now where we are standing in his presence on holy ground. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the privilege of being a child of the living God. 
And do you know why we will not bow down? Because we serve a God of miracles. <clears throat> he is truly the waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper. I had a stroke Wednesday. I'm here today. <laughs> the hospital people couldn't believe. I passed all their tests and was out of there. And I'm just here to testify of the miraculous work of the Lord God. And he gave me this scripture. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but I will deliver them out of all of them. So praise God. <laughs> praise God. Just thankful for our God. He is beyond words, beyond words. I wasn't going to share this, but now that Cherie did, kind of goes along with it. It's out of Jeremiah 29. For I know the thoughts I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. Cherie, God is giving you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me, and I will listen to you. And I don't know how many times I have read this and glossed over. And I will listen to you. God hears us. He listens to us. He's not just this cosmic dear Abby in the sky. Okay. He hears us. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. It can't be halfway. It, it, it can't just be come to church on Sunday and do all the churchy things and do all the Christian things and say the right things and dress the right way and act the right way. It has to be in our hearts and we have to search for him with everything that we have. And you know, I have good days and I have bad days and some days I'm walking around my house doing stuff, taking care of things and the only thing that I can get out of my mouth is Jesus. Jesus, 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 because he is my king. He is who we seek. And when we seek him, it says we will find him. We will find him. And the part about having a God that listens to me, that just, when I got a hold of that concept, that just kind of blew me away. What? He's not just this big uh, thing in the sky. He actually listens to me. Yes. And Shuri, he has not given, you are not the only one. He has given a future and a hope. Everyone that believes in him and seeks him, regardless of what's going on in the world, regardless of what's going on in your world, in the natural, in your flesh, God still has a future and a hope for you. God still listens. God is still there if we seek him. And that's the key. We must seek him. Must. What's really awesome is he's not that hard to find. He's not real good at hiding. So it's kind of unfair. <laughs> 
That's better. Yeah, better. Thank you. I didn't have it plugged in all the way. That's kind of like me. I'm not plugged in all the way all the time. <laughs> yeah. So I heard this word, um, there is an escape. Um, and I was just going to release it, but then I, a couple passages came to me. So 1 Corinthians chapter 10, <clears throat> verse 13, no temptation, and that word temptation could be translated as test. So there's no temptation, no test has overcome you or overtaken you, but such as common to man. That means nothing has happened or will happen to any one of us that somebody else hasn't already experienced. And sometimes when we go through trials or temptations or persecutions, it's the enemy likes to work like nobody understands, we're all alone, we're experiencing something that nobody has ever had before. Well, it's not true. It just feels that way sometimes. So no temptation or test has overtaken you, but such is common to man. And God's faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you're able. Oh, but it will feel that way, but he doesn't address that. It will feel that way. Aren't you glad that we don't go by feelings? Anybody in the room? If you go by your feelings and your emotions, you'll sink. That's a guarantee. So God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you're able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape. There is an escape. So that you will be able to endure it. So which is it? You're going to escape it or you're going to endure it? Let's read this again. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you're able, but with that temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Amen. So, are we going to escape it, or are we going to endure it? Yes. yes. <laughs> I like it. Yes. Then this other passage in Proverbs 25, I mentioned this uh, Wednesday too. This one's been really prominent with me lately. Proverbs 25 too. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter. But it is the glory of kings to search out a matter. And we're the kings. So do we endure it or do we escape it? And, th and actually the answer is yes. We escape it and we endure it. What the Lord always wants to do with us, those who have accepted, received Christ, is he wants to conform us into his image, conform us into Christ-like image, which means that he's conforming us into Christ-like character. And so whatever temptation we might have, whatever lust we might have, whatever issue we might have, is he grows us to the point where that temptation no longer becomes a temptation. It doesn't disappear. It's no longer a temptation to us anymore. 
I remember um, the time frame, not the exact event. Um, before I received Christ, um, I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to smoking marijuana. Um, and I didn't want to give it up when I, when I accept, received Christ. I gave up the drug part of it. I was delivered. I didn't even have the need for that anymore. But I struggled with giving up smoking pot. And I don't remember, like I said, the event, but I remember when it went away. And I didn't have that struggle anymore. And what was more important to me, working in the motorcycle industry, where, not necessarily, but in the areas that I was and the groups that I was dealing with, drugs and alcohol and this sort of thing, was very prevalent. And I was offered things that I liked. And I remember when I was offered and I saw it and can smell it, it wasn't a temptation anymore. See, that's when God, that's the, the, where the temptation, there's an, the escape is now that you can endure it. it. It never went away. It was still there, the thing, the issue. But it was no longer, had no tie on me anymore. See, that's freedom. That's, that's real deliverance. You know, when, when things like that happen. Amen. Anybody else have a word or anything that you didn't give? Anybody want one that I can give you to give? I'm just kidding. Anybody sick this morning, not feeling well, dealing with a disease or some kind of ailment physically, mentally, that you would like prayer for, that you would like to be free from, that you'd like to be healed? Nobody. Every one of us is completely healed. You would like to... Go ahead, if you can raise your hand, because I'm going to ask the rest of you, powerful warriors, Holy Ghost-filled people to go lay hands on them and just speak the will of God right over their life. Could you raise your hand again if you are wanting prayer this morning? Okay, the rest of you, I see two hands. If you can just go, lay hands on, on them. Pray over them. Declare the word of God over them. Amen. Let's do this. One, two, three, go. Bless the Lord. Thank you, Father. As they are, are praying for those, the rest of you, if you need to use the restroom, go ahead because this is going to be a long morning. 
maybe a donut out there, some coffee. Funny how many people had to go to the bathroom. I was just trying to thin out the room. Now let's start. We don't have anybody back at the computer this morning, so if you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Samuel 17, if you need me to repeat that, I will. We might even touch on Revelation 18, Genesis 3. multi-fingered bookmark. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We'll start there at some point this morning. Glory. I would like to say that today is Joe and I's 42nd first date anniversary. I was going to mention that. Too late. I already did. (laughs) 42 years ago, our first date was a double date with my sister and her brother at the twin drive-in off of Kentucky. In my 1977 green inside and out Chevy Bel Air station wagon. In the front seat, I slid my hand slowly and slowly, and we touched hands. (laughs) I was at the ripe age of 16 years old. 42 years ago. And I'm only 36. That's an interesting situation. Yeah, living in the miraculous. That's a supernatural life right there. Also, uh, typically... We host the National Day of Prayer and Independence, um, but since I've just been so busy with campaigning, um, I've asked some of my pastor friends if they would like to. I had one say so, so it's, it's going to be held. It's, it's Cinco de Mayo. National Day of Prayer is the 5th of May, and it's going to be held at the Convergence Point in Independence. They're right on the corner of Nolan and I-70, right behind the grocery store there. There's a flyer out on the bulletin board with their address, so that's Thursday, May 5th at 7 o'clock, I think, or 6.30. Might check check the flyer out there if you're interested in being part of that. I want to show, as I'm doing some announcements this morning, I want to show a short little video because I want to make you aware of something if you're not already. I'm sure some of you are already aware of this. Um, and over the last couple years, I've mentioned a couple times, and here just recently, that it would be wise, it would be a good idea, if you had some food reserves at home. And uh, my personal recommendation is, is three months, but I've, I've said up to six, mainly because 
we want to be in a position where we can help other people too and share. And so I know Renee and I have been doing that um, to some degree. I know it's very difficult, especially now because food prices are so high, but if we've been doing it over a period of years, it's easier to buy a few extra things um, as, as you go along. And so uh, I, w- I want to I talk about that and show you a little a video of, of that, uh, about that, because we're not seeing some of this stuff uh, in the news. It's not being reached have been burned down, blown up. Two of them actually had airplanes uh, fly into them, starting, this all started last year. We also have bird flu going around. 27 states have the bird flu. The bird flu has now killed over 27 million chickens and turkeys in our country. That's on top of the supply chain and the issues with food we've already had, okay? So we just need to be aware of these things. The Lord always has strategy and preparation for his people. But we need to know what is he saying to us personally. My recommendation of some food, you can take it or leave it. You could, whatever the Lord's telling you to do. Uh, We know that when there was three years of famine in Egypt, God told Joseph, store up, be prepared. He saved a nation through that. We also know God dropped food out of the sky. You know, he brought a raven and fed Elijah. God can do whatever he wants to do. We need to hear what God is actually saying. So we're prepared for the times ahead. Jesus is going to come back, and we're going to have a one-world government when he comes back. But in the meantime, the enemy's going to institute his one-world government. The Bible tells us it's going to happen. But we can live safely in that process of how that's going on. That's one reason why I personally believe we need to have good, solid, constitutional conservatives in public office when this stuff hits because they need to have the wisdom of God in decisions that they're making for the citizens in which their realm covers. So let me show you this video. It might take me just a second here to set this up on my phone. And hopefully that video will show and not some other goofy thing I've got on my phone. It could be.
this? Or heard reports? Yes, yeah, Steve. Uh-huh. Hmm, interesting. Speaking of um, the trains, I mentioned this on Wednesday, too. Um, Union Pacific has cut um, CF Industries. CF Industries makes fertilizers and is one of their biggest customers, and they've cut their transportation by 20%. So 20% less fertilizer is being transported across the country too, right at the time where farmers are planting crops and things like this that it's really needed. The IMF, the International Monetary Fund, has put out a statement too. Uh, it's a warning regarding looming global food shortage saying that vulnerable nations are at risk for civil unrest amid supply issues. So there you have it. Who does, by the way? I don't know. Really? Wow. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I think it was Scott that was saying he knows somebody that worked at the railroad, and I guess a bunch of their engines, the copper was stolen off of them, too, so it, the engines weren't being used. So anyway, isn't that interesting, though? We've got, uh, matter of fact, they mentioned on the, this news report that a dozen just in the last month, food processing, but it's been over two dozen since last year. Um, it just looks very suspicious, doesn't it? have that many and plane crashes and weird stuff okay first corinthians chapter three. First corinthians chapter three i'm going to kind of return to what i was talking about what a month ago um that's kind of been broke up a little bit but i'm gonna i'm gonna jump into something this morning and specifically talking about strongholds, strongholds. But I'm just going to remind us of a few things that, you know, I had mentioned um, a, a month to two months ago, uh, and then just keep moving from there. And so we talked about being a mere man versus a spiritual man. You remember that? 
Does anybody remember that? Two people do? Okay, that's good. <laughs> 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. So in other words, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual men. I had to speak to you as natural men. As to infants in Christ, I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you are yet or you are not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able, for you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly, and are you not walking like mere men? So there's a difference between being a man, a mere man, and a spiritual man. Jealousy and strife, he gives as two examples of what it's like of being a mere man. So when Christians that have Christ, the life of Christ on the inside of them, are still dealing with jealousy and strife and envy and lusts and anger and offense and we can go on galatians chapter 5 gives us a pretty good list of the works of the natural the works of the flesh that according to the scripture we're called a mere man not a spiritual man now we can call ourselves a spiritual man but when we are functioning in these things jealousy strife anger lust all of these things we are really living as a mere man Notice what Paul says, when you are living as a mere man, you cannot receive solid food. He said you can't, you, you can't. In my opinion, this is where the majority of the body of Christ is, and why there's just so much milk out there. Because people can't chew on it, they can't chew on the deeper types of things. We've actually kept people, we being leadership, have kept people in immaturity mainly because of our immaturity. It's really quiet in here this morning. Am I at the right place? All right. So we talked about zoe. The word zoe means what? Does anybody remember? It's God's life. Zoe, Z-O-E, is life. It means life, but it, more specifically, it is God's life. It's the very same life Jesus had within himself. It's the very same type quality of life that God has, that Zoe life. That's the life where Jesus said, I came to give you life. I came to give you Zoe. He didn't come to give us biological life. He came to give us Zoe, the same quality of life God has. That's powerful, man. I, it's just like, it doesn't get any better than that. We also looked at scripture where it says that we're light and we have light life. In other words, we have light zoe. So we, we discovered that our light is not just because we carry a Bible and we can quote some Bible scriptures or we wear a Christian t-shirt or we go to church. It's because we have the zoe of God in us that causes us to be light. It's that zoe, the life of God in us and emanating through us. To the world around us causes us to be light. Zoe was that life that man lost in the garden. It is the same life that is restored through Christ. 
Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 says this. I say to you and affirm together with the Lord that you walk or live no longer as Gentiles walk. How do they walk? They walk or live in the futility of their mind, being darkened in their understanding. Let me pause right there in this passage. When Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, let me stop there and explain that. There's two trees in the garden, and there's still two trees in the garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life you'll see in Revelation. It appears in Revelation uh, again. The tree of life is representation of Jesus. Jesus is the true bread who comes down from heaven. So Jesus is that tree of life. God put a tree of life in the middle of the garden, and he also put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is not the tree of the knowledge of evil. It is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is that mixing of holy and profane. It is the mixing of what God says, but what I want in my human reasonings. It is that mix. That's where it becomes very uh, deceptive. Because the, the lie has to depend on the truth for its very existence. It's not a created thing. It's a perversion. A lie is a perversion of truth. So it needs truth to, to even exist. So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that mixing. And the enemy's really good of that. You can see the three, only three sentences. He speaks to Eve, and he mixes some truth with a lie in there. That lie being that hook to hook us. And this is, his, his scheme is still the same. 6,000 years later, it's still the same with human beings. He hasn't changed his... It's still the same thing. It still works. And it works with so many Christians. That's a sad thing. It's worked with me before. Because of not knowing what the Word says or not doing what the Word says. Even knowing, but not doing it. Not acting on it. So that the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil are still existing. Let me give you another definition of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil since it's that mixing of the holy and the profane. It is also representation of the soul, meaning human reasonings. That, and I'll show you in Eve's response to that. Let's go there in Genesis chapter 3. Verse 1 says, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, did God say this? He always does that, right? He always challenges what God said, what God means by what he said. Did God really say that? Did he really do that? Does he really love you? Does he really care about you? Has he really forgiven you? Did he really save you? All of these things. Did he really say you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Yeah, he, actually God did say that. You can eat from any tree, but one. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of, a, of the garden, God said you shall not eat it or touch it or you will die. Now, he didn't say, there's nothing recorded say talked about if you should touch it. But here's my point. She knew what was right and she knew what was wrong. She knew what she was supposed to do. She just didn't do what she was supposed to do. So there's a difference. Sometimes it's ignorance. We don't know. 
or we do know. See, and God does hold us responsible for the things we know. Because he knows what we know. <laughs> he knows what we know. We can try to unconvince ourselves or convince ourselves that we don't know. Has anybody ever done that, by the way? That sounds a little weird. Like you just like, you know, you almost hide from yourself, your, your, your own knowledge. Has anybody ever done that besides me? Has anybody ever done it besides me and you would admit it? You know, you almost like you, 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 you kind of self-sabotage or self-deceive yourself because you want to do this other thing so bad. <laughs> okay, all right. Verse 3, you shall not eat from it or touch it unless you die. And the verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows in the day that you eat it, your eyes are going to be opened, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman what? When the woman what? When the woman saw. When the woman saw. What was she doing? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food. She was making a determination now. She was not living by God's word. What did Jesus say? Man, to, to Satan in the garden when he talked about turning the stone to bread. Man shall not live by bread alone. Bread is what? It's natural. So what was Jesus saying? Man shall not live by the natural alone. But how? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So what did Eve do? She even confessed what God said. But then she did what? She took her senses and she thought, well, that tree. And you, when you look at something God said that is profane, you should not touch it, eat it. And you start determining for yourself that it's good for food. You know, I, I've seen depictions of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they always try to make it, not always, but I've seen it sometimes make it look really kind of evil-like and, you know, like maybe it was in the Munster's front yard or something, you know. But, but I believe it was a beautiful-looking tree. Probably had beautiful-looking fruit. But God said, don't eat that. That's going to kill you. It's going to take you away from me. But what did she do? She knew what the Word of God says, but she looked at it. And she's now giving human reasoning. In other words, she's now processing through the soul. That looks good for food. And it's desirable to make one wise. Where'd she get that? Once you start entertaining the human reasoning and soul, it takes you on a path. And it takes you on a path further from the word of God. Isn't it interesting God didn't intervene in this as she's doing this? You know why? Free choice, but he had already told her. You see, oftentimes as Christians, we, we know. I, I learned this uh, early on in ministry when I was working with teenagers. And this still happens to me today. It's an interesting concept. And I, I, I wish I'd have kept track of how many times this happens, but I'd have somebody, especially a teenager, it's like, oh, Pastor Joe, I need to talk to you. I got this issue going on. And, and I would talk with them, and they do all the talking. And it's like I couldn't get into it. And then they're like, oh, thanks for talking to me. I feel so much better. Hey, you're welcome. Praise God. Let's pray together. 
makes my job easier. I don't want to tell people what to do anyway unless, it's a, unless I have scripture for it. And then I've had this happen, and I learned this early on too with teenagers. And, I'll, and if you come and ask me this way, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do, I use the same thing. I'm going to tell you the same thing. And they'll tell me all this, and it's like, I don't know what decision to make, and I got all this kind of stuff. And I'll just say, okay, well, what do you really feel like in your heart that you're supposed to do? What do you think God's actually saying? Nine times out of ten, it's what God has already spoken to them. They were looking for something else. They were looking to do or say or act on something else other than what God was saying. And all I was doing is helping them to discover what God was already saying to them. And, and personally, from my perspective, I think that's what I should do with everybody is help you to discover what God's already telling you, showing you. You, you. And some people, like, they didn't really know it. They didn't know it was God. They just had these thoughts. Well, and then you can guide them through the Scripture. Well, here's what the Scripture says about it. I wonder if it's really... So my point being is, especially with Eve, is many times we already know the right thing to do. As a believer, when we have these testing times, you know why? Because the test doesn't come until you have the information. It's super quiet in here. We need to have some more donuts. Can you bring them in, Elise? We just get that sugar going, some more coffee. Sugared up and coffeeed up. So in Ephesians chapter 4, and, and here's what Eve, Eve, so Eve began to function now out of her soul, which means the soul is what? The mind, will, and the emotions. How I feel about something, how I think about something, how I desire something, it becomes about me now. And human reasoning, I saw it, so I'm now using my natural sense to determine truth. When God already said what the truth was. And this is a very interesting thing to me, especially with Adam and Eve, because they lived in the most perfect environment on earth up until that point. There wasn't sin. There wasn't evil. There wasn't corruption. It was the absolute, it was heaven on earth, the most perfect environment. There was no flesh. Nobody in this room has ever done that. But you've probably heard other Christians say when they did something that sinned, oh, it was just the flesh. Like, I'm separated from that. Oh, so you're, you're not your flesh? I mean, how does that work? I don't, I haven't figured that one out. But here's what Ephesians 4, 17, let me read this again. So I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk, you live no longer as Gentiles. Why? Because Gentiles are trapped without receiving Christ. And that's what Gentiles represent. They don't just re represent non-Jews. They represent in Scripture, in the New Testament, those who have not received Christ yet. Well, they don't have an option. They can't live by the Spirit. They've not been regenerated, born again. They are living... Gentiles live by what? The futility of their mind. They're darkened in their understanding. They're living out of their own soul. This is what we're seeing all, globally and happening right now for the, those that are not. But sadly, it's really, it's happening with many Christians too. They're living out and functioning out of their soul, 
how they feel about things, how they think about things, how they desire about things. Have you ever been in a group, uh, let's just say a Bible study, and, and maybe somebody brings out a scripture and somebody will say, well, I just believe ABC. Well, where do you believe ABC? Like, where, what's that founded on? Where does that come from? If it's not based here, where are you getting it? Did you get it in school? Did you hear your neighbor talk about it? Did you get it off the news? Well, I just believe. Well, what? Truth is based on an absolute, and Jesus is the truth. So without him, if you take him out, this is the problem with our public schools. They've removed, this is a problem with society, but I'll use schools. They've removed Jesus. This, this June 17th, in two months, less than two months, is going to be the uh, 60-year anniversary of removing prayer from the public school. 60 years. June 17th, this year. They systematically removed God and Christ out of the public schools. Well, what do you think is going to happen? What we have now. Where we have Marxist, ideology, communist, anti-American textbooks, propaganda, uh, perverted sexual garbage to, to the nth degree. That's, that's the result of mo- removing God and Christ at, because he's the standard for truth. That's what this is. This is our standard. You know what a standard is? A standard is a ruler. It's a measuring tape. It, it, we, can, we can have a discussion. How, how long do you guys think this is right here from my hand to my hand? Two foot. 18 inches. You see what I'm saying? We're all looking at something and we're guessing. By what? What we see. But what's going, what is going to just put an end to that discussion and what we all think? We're going to measure it. We're going to measure it with what? A standard, which is what? A measuring tape. And we're going to put, and I don't have one on me because I wasn't thinking of talking about this. You got one in your pocket? We would measure this, and let's just say it's 20 six and a half inches and i show everybody oh no i just believe it's 13 inches i just believe it is no most of us would say okay that's what it is what did i say it was (laughs) what in the world is this thing oh let's i was like that's the wrong side there's a different side. Actually, one starts over here. Well, it's not an exact number, but I'm, oh yeah, it is. 25 inches. It's 25 inches. So what do we do now? I just think it's 13. I still think it's 26 and a half. No, we are. But this is what happens. We have a standard, it's called the, the scriptures, God's word, written word. Oh, well, it all depends on how you, de- how you, uh, how you uh, interpret it. Exactly. So God's standard came to Eve, don't eat that. Actually, it came to Adam. Adam probably communicated that to Eve. They both knew they weren't supposed to eat it. They listened to a voice they should not have been listening to.
Now it's brought a little confusion, possibly. Anybody ever experienced that? You know what God says, and then you call a friend or two or three, or you poll your audience? Oh, nobody does that, right? (laughs) So you hear something from the Lord, and I think I'm supposed to do this, and then you call your friend. What do you think? What do you think? And then you get all kinds of opinions. And by the time you're done and you talk to people, you, you could end up a little bit more confused and you forgot really what exactly God said to do. Now, I'm not saying you don't ask anybody. But I don't ask people when I hear from the Lord. I just don't go around asking people. You know who I ask? You know who I ask if I'm confused and I don't know? I'll ask people I know can hear from the Lord. And, and I know will tell me the truth regardless of whether I want to hear it or not. And I only have very few people like that in my life. Because a lot of people want to tell you what you want to hear. I don't need people to tell me what I want to hear. I need people to tell me what I need to hear. And there's a big, there's a big difference in that. And that's why we, we need wise counselors around us that have no fear of man that will just say, you know what, Joe, you're wrong. I don't like it. I'll just tell you that up front. <laughs> I probably won't like it. But does, that doesn't mean I, I need that. We all need that. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes we'll, defend, we'll get defensive because of it or, or whatever. Yeah. Okay, so Ephesians 4.17. I'll wrap up here in the next 30, 30 minutes or so. So this I affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer. So in other words, he's talking to Christians, right? Ephesians was an ecclesia in Ephesus. That's what the letter is, is written to. So he's talking to a group of Christians, and he's telling Christians, don't live this way anymore. Don't live like you used to live. You know, anytime God tells us not to do something, you know what that, uh, what that also means? That you can, you can do that. You can do it. If he says don't do something, or if he says do something, that means you can do it. Not in your own strength, but he's going to provide everything you and I need to be able to do it or not do it. That's how faithfully, he just doesn't say don't do it and just, you know, try to figure it out, Joe, do it on your own strength. No. Other, if, if he didn't give us everything, then we wouldn't need him to be able to accomplish it. But we do. Am I making sense? You just saying that to make me feel better and move on? And the futility of their mind being darkened in their understanding. Why? Because they're excluded from the life or zoe of God. You see, when we exclude ourselves from that zoe, that life of God, and this is what happened with Adam and Eve. So they had the zoe, the life of God within them. They made a decision to do something that God said not to do. And look, it was just eating a piece of fruit. This was not murder. This was not, you know, sex trafficking. This was just eating a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. And when they did that, and they lost Zoe, no human being, they have nowhere else to go except default to the soul. And that's what happened. They lost that life of God, eventually, because that, eventually, that would cause aging, 
that causes sickness, that causes disease, and it causes eventual biological natural death. And that's the only enemy that's, that we still face is death. And one day that enemy will be completely eradicated. But God's made provision in the meantime for all of that. But when we lost, we, man, when I say we, I'm talking about when humanity, Adam and Eve, lost Zoe, they defaulted now to soul, thus becoming a mere man, a soulish man. And that was the birth of humanism. The birth of humanism started in the garden, where man is God. Man now determines what's right and wrong. Do you know as Christians we're not supposed to live by right and wrong? Did you know that? We're supposed to live by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what Jesus said. We can even turn that even to even something better because remember Jesus, or the, the word says in the old covenant, it says God sets before us what? Life and death. And, wait a minute, life and death, the blessing and the curse. He didn't say God sets before you right and wrong. He said life, death, blessing, curse. Choose life. See, if we get this change in our mind, just even just this part of concept, is every decision we make, we're choosing the decision for life instead of right or wrong. Because what happens with right and wrong, it gets way too subjective. Parents think they believe they know what's right and wrong for their children. You don't unless you have this. And what is life? Because Jesus didn't say, I came to give you what's right and what's wrong. I came to give you life. And that you would be living by life, guided by life. That Zoe, the life of God. Exclude, I'm going to move on with Ephesians 4, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because of the hardness of their own heart, they've become callous, they've given themselves over to what? Sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Why? Because that's the default. When you don't have the life of God, you're going to default to something, and that's it. There's no vacuums. Something's going to fill that space, and you default to the soul, to the natural. But you didn't learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, here's, what it, here's the command, lay aside the old self. He didn't say, the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, did not say, pray and ask God to do this for you. Amen. Thank you for that one amen. Is there any other men in the room? We, and we do this constantly. I hear this every week somewhere in some prayer, some is we're asking God to do things that he's already told us to do. Or we're asking him to give us what he's already gave, given to us. We just don't know it. If we, if we knew it, we wouldn't be asking. He said, you lay aside the old self. He didn't say pray and ask God to do it. Didn't say go find a pastor, an apostle, or you know somebody that's a miracle worker to do it. He said, you do this. Lay aside the old self, which is being what? Corrupted. In accordance with the lust of deceit. And then be renewed in the spirit of your mind. 
Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Here is the very pinnacle of all strongholds. Be renewed in your mind. Be conformed, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way we think. will change the way we speak and it will change the way we act. The war is here between the ears. This is the battleground right here. There's a lot today talked about spiritual warfare and the heavenlies and all of, all of this stuff, and I won't deny any of that, but our main spiritual warfare is right here. And that's what the Bible says. So let's jump. Let's, uh, well, let me read one scripture that we've talked about before, but I, I want to throw this in. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely may your spirit soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of the lord jesus christ what's he saying what he just said no what he's saying is our spirit soul and body the three parts of our being is to be uh, uh, co- uh, to be preserved complete and in unity and harmony with the spirit of god yes our body our soul our mind will and emotions and our spirit I know some Christians teach the body and the, is the flesh and it's bad, 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 bad. No, no, no. It's good, 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 good. God created it. And he wants all three of those to be in perfect, complete harmony and be preserved all the way to the end. Through one world government, through Marxist, communist, garbage, war, whatever, famine, to be preserved complete all the way through. David, when he went to the, to the battlefield to bring his brothers some sandwiches, we looked at that passage. What did he say? And what happened? Well, not he said, but what the Bible tells us. He left his baggage with the baggage handler before he went to war. This is what we're talking about. We are in the middle of a war in the United States of America. And we're not going to win it carrying baggage around. We've got to leave our baggage. We've got to get free from this baggage. And that's what we're talking about. Strongholds. 1 Corinthians. Let's just jump into that for real quick, and then I'll, I'll end. Um, I, I said 1 Corinthians. It's actually 2 Corinthians. Chapter 10. 2 Corinthians comes right after 1, unless you got a little confused or something. It's 1 Corinthians and 2. It does not come before 3 Corinthians, though. All right? So don't be looking for that. 2 Corinthians chapter... 10 for though we walk in the flesh which means we walk in the natural i I think we've overdefined and used the word flesh just to mean sin all the time and corruption but often the bible uses that word just to mean the natural okay the natural so for though we walk in the natural we don't war according to the natural For the weapons of our warfare are not of the natural or the flesh, but they're divinely powerful for the destruction of the New American Standard uses the word fortresses, which is a good word, but I like the word strongholds. How many of you have strongholds in your Bible? Okay. Fortresses or strongholds. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought 
Where are, where are our thoughts? Are they out here somewhere? Are they hovering over a city? No, they're right here between the ears. They're in the soul. Our mind, our will, and emotions. We're taking every thought. It doesn't say we're taking every evil thought, every lustful thought. It says every thought. Every righteous thought, every evil thought. Every thought. What are we doing with every thought? We're taking it captive and we're lining it up to the standard. To the standard. <laughs> this is Lori. <laughs> I love it. We are destroying speculations. Every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm going to close with this. I promise. Strongholds. Fortresses. Notice the word fortress. One of the reasons I like the word fortress is it, it conveys something in the English that I think is very important in this context. When you hear the word fortress, what do you think? Impenetrable. What else? I think of a fort. I think of a fort as well. What I think of is military term. And that's really what is being portrayed in this passage. This is a war. A fortress or a stronghold. When you think of the word stronghold, what comes to mind? Bondage. A place of protection. Yep. What was that you said, Dale? A place not easily taken. Hmm. Excellent. A stronghold is anything. You ready for this? You might want to sit down because this is going to be earth shaking. You might want to take notes on this one. It's anything that has a strong hold on you. <laughs> I stayed up all night thinking of that one. No, I didn't. So there are demonic strongholds, but there's also godly strongholds. And really what we want to do is we want to destroy the demonic strongholds and we want to erect a godly stronghold. You remember, this is portrayed uh, to some degree in what Jesus said in this statement. He said that the prince or the God of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. Because see, Jesus was in the stronghold of the Lord as he lived. The, the enemy had no access to him. He had to come out here with, vo you know, the temptation and try to get him off his game. But in his heart, he had, there was no access for the enemy. That's where God wants us. There's no access. Remember, the enemy, Satan, the whole demonic realm has two things that God has legally given them access to. And there's absolutely nothing you or I are going to do about it. You can try your binding and loosening and casting out, and they're not going because God gave it to them. And they are going to be in these two places or have access to these two things. The first thing you can find in Genesis chapter 3. 
when God said, on your belly you shall go the rest of the days of your life, and dust you shall eat. God gave them dust to eat. Dust is dirt. It's earth. It's what our bodies are made of. We're going to return to the dust. It's also an example of what? Flesh or the works of the flesh. So in other words, God gave Satan in the whole demonic realm legal, I just used the word legal, food to eat. And that's the works of the flesh. That's why when you see people functioning in the work of the flesh, you see every evil deed. Because you're setting a buffet for the demonic to come and have access. When there's strife in the home, strife between couples, families, congregations, when there's bitterness and there's jealousy and there's offense, all of these things are strongholds of the Lord. What I want to portray to you in the next couple weeks is an anger, a righteous anger that the enemy was able to have access and built a stronghold where they can hide and launch attacks at you. And we've done it to ourselves. So they have legal food to eat. It's called the works of the flesh. And they can, they can, you're not going to do anything about it. Except get rid of the works of the flesh. And you remove their food source. You do that to any kind of an animal. They leave after a while. Because they're going to go find other food. Just the way it works. In Jude, it says, here's a, here's a, a place, a legal place they can live. In Jude, it says that they are bound, doesn't mean they're tied up. The, the demonic, the fallen angels, the demonic, are bound in a particular place. What's that particular place? Darkness. That God gave them darkness to live. Until he deals with it when he gets back at the end of the age, they're living there, and there's nothing you or I are going to do about it. You can bind loose and do all your stuff you want to do. You're not getting rid of them. They're going to live in darkness. You get the darkness out of you. That's how you remove them. That's how you bind and loose the enemy from your life. You don't use the words, I bind you, and that, that's not even biblical. You don't use those words. You remove the darkness from your life, and they have to go. There's no access for them. So you remove darkness, you remove their food source. The, the, the God of this world is coming, but he has nothing in me. All right? We'll talk about that in the upcoming weeks, too. Love you guys so much. Father, thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the calling you've given to us. Lord, we just thank you so over the years that you have given us words, uh, teachings. You have spoken to us to prepare us for things to come. Uh, God, sometimes even years in advance, and we just thank you for that. Father, I pray for each individual here. They have ears. They have ears. They're not going to have. They have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. They have eyes to see. And they have the courage by the Spirit of God to obey in Jesus' mighty name. Thank you for them. Thank you for the relationship. Lord, I thank you, too, that uh, relationships are eternal, and we get to spend eternity together. Amen. Amen. Now get out and go home. <laughs>